It's Spencer Hughes with another Hughes from the Heart. Thanks so much for joining me. Our guest is Dr. Melissa Carver. Her website is drmelissacarver.com, Dr. D-R, and then Melissa carver.com and i read her book a couple of times i love it it's who the hell told you that and it has been uh, in and out of print it's so popular and i'm not even sure we'll find out here in a second if you can get the physical copy now i got a kindle version because i'm trying to downsize my book collection and trying to leave a smaller footprint and and have less clutter of uh, stuff everywhere so i got the kindle version and i adore it may i call you melissa Yes, absolutely. Thanks a lot for being with us. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to chat with you this morning. I've been looking forward to this since I found out about you and we've been on social media together here. And then I read, I bought the book on Kindle and read it a couple of times. You've had a connection with psychology and, and kind of metaphysics for some time now. Your PhD in philosophy, which I find really, really fascinating. Tell us about your earliest connection with metaphysics. When did you first become interested in this stuff? Oh my gosh, as a small child, I would say I became interested, but you know, I think I thought it was normal for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, everyone doesn't everyone doesn't think this way or tap into the universe in this form or fashion, and then I realized, no, that's not really the norm for most people. I think the universe has just always spoken to me. I've always had a good intuition. I don't know that I've always listened to it, especially as a child and a teenager, but I was very aware of its presence. What is all of this when we talk about, I mean, I learned about the law of attraction as many people do from The Secret and from Abraham Hicks and their material. And now I'm learning about it through through your work and, and others. It it seems mystifying to a lot of people. I know a lot of friends that I've alienated because I talk about it so much and they think it's a bunch of woo-woo and they think it's craziness. But the law of attraction at a very basic level is like attracts like, especially in the realm of thought, right? That one thought leads to a similar thought. I hate the expression on the right side of the bed or the wrong side of the bed. I think it's the wrong side of the attitude people wake up on because the bed, you know, we're, we're already putting blame on the bed. Like somehow the bed has a bad side to it and we woke up on it, right? I mean, there's no such thing as a... The, the wrong side of the bed, it's the wrong side of our attitude. And for me, the law of attraction most easily explained is when you wake up whistling and you wake up looking forward to your Monday and you look forward to what's going on in your day, you're going to have a better day than when you wake up saying, oh my God, why did I even wake up today? I stepped on the Legos, uh, my toast burned, my car's out of gas, my boss hates me, my wife hates me, my husband hates me. I mean, one thought leads to another, right? And and that's sort of an easy way to explain the law of attraction. Exactly. And everything is frequency. So you can say it's metaphysical and it's kooky, but you can also say there's scientific research that backs this up. You know, we're all frequency. Everything is frequency. So it, just like you and I are speaking right now, how are we speaking? There's nothing, there's no wires connecting you and I, yet you're in Washington State and I'm sitting in Kentucky and we're having this amazing conversation because of the frequency that floats through the air makes that possible. So it works exactly the same with our thoughts and what we are attracting. And I've always wondered, Melissa, when I try to explain it to people, it's hard to explain, right? Is the universe consciousness, like, is this happening the same way a tuning fork happens? Like a tuning fork, no one thinks of a tuning fork as magic, but everyone accepts the fact that if you hit a tuning fork, things in the in the similar 
range of, of sound will vibrate off of it, right? And they'll start resonating together. Nobody thinks that that's mystical. There's nothing magical about a tuning fork. But what is this law of attraction? And when people say the universe, and I refer to the universe often, is it a thinking conscious thing or is it just explainable through other means, like through vibration alone? People ask me like, well, how does the universe know you want a lot of money? Or how does the universe know that you want good health? Or how do the, the universe know that you need a better relationship with your spouse? I mean, and I don't know how to answer that. I don't know if like you get into that whole realm of the creator and God, and I try to stay out of, you know, religion because I don't think religion has to come into this to explain it. But is the universe like a conscious mystical thing or is it just as easily explained as a tuning fork? It it can be mystical, but I think once you've tapped into it, it seems less and less mystical and more and more just who you are because we are all the universe and we are all parts of creators. So we're co-creating with God, creator, universe, whatever you prefer to call it. I think a lot of people have, because of religion, I think a lot of people have transformed into the language of the universe rather than saying God, but it's all all the same thing. And it is frequency. The universe doesn't speak necessarily English or Arabic or German. It's all about our frequency of what we're putting out there. So how we're saying these words makes a huge difference as well. You know, I tell people all the time, if you pray for five minutes a day for these amazing things that you want in your life and how you want to transform, but the other hours of the day, you're speaking something completely different. Like you said, you're getting out of the bed. Like, why did I even wake up this morning? I'm stepping on these Legos. Mondays suck. But the night before, you prayed before you went to bed. So which one are you actually putting out there more? I've always believed that. And I grew up um, in Catholic school. My parents weren't even really religious. They sent me to parochial schools because at the time, these institutions were superior places of learning, let's say, right? So they, they didn't send me there to be a Catholic. They sent me there because they were good schools that happened to be Catholic schools. But I, the older I got, the more I broke away from it. I'm not a member of any organized religion now, but I do consider myself a very spiritual person. And I have a totally different take on prayer now. And I know it alienates some people, but my thing with prayer is it's not so much that there's a bearded old man on a cloud somewhere taking note of everything we want and ask for and saying, well, you know, almost like Santa Claus, you know, like, well, okay, I could give you that. Right, you know, I could right. give you that that vacation this year, but I'm not going to give you the million dollar lottery. That's not, that's not happening. I think it's, I think, you know what I mean? Like, I think I used to think prayer was like a, a phone call to God. Like I'm praying and God has to be listening. And that's how people approach it, isn't it? I mean, no matter what the religion, when people get down on their, their knees in church or in a synagogue or in a temple and they're praying, the hope is that the creator, whoever that happens to be, wherever they happen to be is listening to us. And if they don't listen to the prayer, it's not answered. Or if we didn't put enough into the prayer beforehand, it won't happen. But I see it as, again, that whole vibrational thing is that if you play the lottery and you never believe you're going to win, right? If you buy a lottery ticket every weekend and say, you know what, this is for other people, I never win. You're never going to win. I mean, I'm not saying you're going to win if you think positively, but isn't that sort of what prayer is? That if you pray, let's say you pray for good health, but you don't believe you're going to get it, it's not going to really manifest for you. You can pray for anything you want, but if there's no real faith behind it, I mean, it's almost like just wasted time, right? Yes, exactly. And speaking of the lottery, you know, people will say, well, if you could just manifest anything, why don't you just manifest winning the lottery? Well, what are your priorities? For me, my personal priorities are health, happiness, my family being 
together and having fun and enjoying life and freedom. But is the lottery going to provide those things? Uh, you know, research has shown often when people win the lottery, they end up being more miserable or going completely bankrupt because they have no, they've gone from completely broke to now they have a few million dollars and they've never been taught how to utilize that or save that. So they just lose their minds. So what are your priorities? You know, my children were little and up until now, I remind them that when they get in the car to speak, I am always safe. It's not about the vehicle. The vehicle can be replaced. So it's kind of the same thing with the lottery. Yeah, I know a lot of people that they'd ask for something and then in the second breath, they're like, well, I'll never get it. And I'm like, well, then why would you put that intention out there? Why would you say I want to find a better job, but there's no jobs out there? Right. It just seems like this contradiction. So the universe says, okay, oh, well, okay, you already made up your mind. So I'll just keep proving you right. It's almost like a self fulfilling prophecy. We think what we think is going to happen usually is what happens, right? If we think we're going to give a lousy speech or we're going to just dribble like an idiot on the court and not make any shots, then usually those aren't our best days. Right. Exactly. That worthiness. It really is. And I think a lot of this, what we call faith, is really as much faith in ourselves, right? in the outcome than it is faith in a higher being or a higher power. Absolutely. It all has to start with faith within ourselves, because if you don't believe in yourself, do you really believe that the creator believes in you? Because if you believe that creator believed in you, you would automatically have more faith in yourself. So it's kind of a never ending circle there. It really is. And then I'm fascinated by the idea if we're all made of God's source, which I believe, I believe everything has to be, we all have to be made of the same source material that, like you said, we have that God creator in all of us. That, And that's what I resent about a lot of organized religions. I can only speak about the Catholic Church because I grew up in that, but it's always this separation. And your book deals with that a lot. This separation that from a young age, we're taught by a lot of religions that we are separate from God instead of that God is within us. And yet there are many passages in most religious texts that say we are God, right? You are gods, you are creators. And somehow we were never taught that. I wasn't taught that when I was growing up. I wasn't taught that I'm as much of a creator as the creator himself or herself. But I think that's the big ingredient that's missing, right? I mean, imagine how powerful future generations would be if we taught our kids that from a young age now. If we thought taught them, you, you create your world, you create your environment, you are not helpless, you are not broken, you don't need salvation from a, a, any source other than yourself. Exactly. People do not need to be saved. They need to know how powerful they are or... Sure. And in a lot, of, I was not really raised in a religion myself either. Um, we didn't go to church past. I remember going to church as a little bitty kid, probably like a, a couple Easter's or something. I don't know. But I've obviously read many of the holy books and I've been around a lot of people who were religious. And I remember hearing people all the time saying, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. Everyone's a sinner. Everyone's born a sinner. Everyone's, it's just so pounded into everyone's mind that how are you ever supposed to feel worthy of anything? Yeah. That's the thing too, is that we're, we're eternal beings of light. I think you and I agree on that. We're eternal beings of light. And yet we're taught from a young age, not only by religions, but by our parents oftentimes and all the adults in our life that were broken and in need all this help. I mean, no wonder we, I mean, I hate to say it, but no wonder there's so much mental conflict. There's so much um, angst out there. There's so much anxiety and depression. I mean, it's it's no wonder that everyone doesn't suffer from it with the kind of upbringing most of us had from our societies and from every aspect of our society that we're somehow half a human being when we're born. And if we're lucky, 
and we sacrifice enough and we do exactly what we're told to do that maybe by the time we die, we'll be, you know, three quarters of a human being. <laughs> exactly. Maybe, hopefully, by the skin of your ass, you will be worthy of an afterlife. But just this one, just forget it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Exactly. It's very damaging when you think about it. It's it's almost, I'll go as far as calling it psychological abuse. I think many of us were psychologically yes. abused unintentionally by parents, by religions, by our cultures, even the political machine. It's a form of brainwashing that uh, if you were to do that, if you were to s- sit down and explain to a therapist, this is what you were going to do. You're going to raise a child to believe that they were broken, battered, less of a human being, that they needed to do X, Y, and Z, or else their whole lives would not be fulfilled. Anybody in their right mind, would, would, you know, from a psychotherapist to you know any other mental health expert would say, well, I wouldn't advise you raise a child like that because you're going to raise a very broken human being because you keep telling them they're broken. I mean, that would be, uh, it's basically we've been psychologically abused without even knowing it. Absolutely. And like you said, though, it is, they did not do this intentionally. Well, some people did not do this intentionally. Parents, grandparents, those who loved us, they are just stepping out on their own programming and doing the best from their level of consciousness. And that's something that's really, really hard to remember, especially when we're going through our own healing and a lot of things come up that we were unaware of. And then we start wanting to place that blame again, like blame in the bed. Really, they were trying to protect us. It's just based from fear. Yeah, I believe that. I, I, Boy, I had an aha moment with Louise Hay, who the late Louise Hay, who I adored, along with uh, the late Wayne Dyer, two of my biggest mentors. And she put it so beautifully in one of her lectures that we can't be too angry with our parents because they raised us the only way they knew how. And I thought it was so powerful that if if their parents didn't raise them with self-love, how could they have taught us self-love if they didn't know it themselves? You know, if they... Absolutely. They didn't even tell their kids they loved them. I've met so many people who I don't know, you know, what it's like where you live, but I know the culture in this area from past generations, they did not even tell their children that they loved them. Yeah, because it wasn't done or they never heard it once from their parents. Uh, same thing with a lot of, I think, corporal punishment too. And you you discuss that too in your book in a very powerful passage where some parents will spank their kids, not even because they believe it's a good idea, but because they were spanked or because of pressure from society that, you know, if you don't spank your kid, you're just going to let them get away with murder, right? I mean, it's an action that a lot of people don't even know. They don't even know why they do it. And I used to be more of a supporter of spanking growing up, even though we never had to really spank our kids at all. And I think I was spanked once or twice by my father and I kind of got the picture. I didn't like it. So I stopped doing what would cause it. (laughs) But it seems like we've lost control at that point, right? As a parent, if you see a parent swatting their kid left and right, there's better ways of doing it. It's almost like an admission that you've lost control of this child. The only way you feel like you can bring them back is through physical violence, really, when you think about it. Yes. And we have lost the ability to communicate with them. I think sometimes parents believe that the children really shouldn't have any opinion or say so, and their feelings don't matter. We're taught to believe you just do it because I said so. Yeah, the you do it because I, say, I said, I do. you don't question me. Don't question me. You're not to question adults or authority. It really is incredible because that's how a lot of us, and, and um, Don Miguel Ruiz, uh, who's referenced in your introduction by David G., who is, is kind of your mentor, right? Kind of your spiritual teacher. I love that he references um, Don Miguel Ruiz. And when I first read Don Miguel Ruiz, it changed my life. And I think I've read everything he and his sons have ever written. But he talks about the domestication process and how 
I'd never seen it that way before, that humans are domesticated by adults in our life, by parents, teachers, peers, the same way we domesticate a dog, really. Like, you're a good little boy if you do this. If you do this, if you make mommy happy, you're a good little girl. If you don't, I'm going to be very upset with you. I'm going to be resentful, and I'm going to treat you differently than if you had done what I wanted you to do. It's it's really about manipulation. It's about control. It's the same way, you know, you buzz the dog when they do something wrong, and you, you know, pat them on the head when they do something right, and they learn that that's the way. I mean, if you were to pat had a dog every time it pooped on your favorite carpet and you were to give the dog a treat every time it pooped on your favorite carpet it would keep pooping on your carpet it wouldn't know that it was the wrong thing to do because you're giving it positive reinforcement Mm -hmm. yeah and you know the things that get on our kids they get on our nerves the most with our children often turns out to be one of their greatest assets as an adult if your child is asking questions that means they're going to question authority forever they're going to continue to question life what is this mean but why 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 you know that um, drives parents crazy the three-year-old favorite question why why and that is what we want to encourage instead of pushing that away and just saying oh that's getting on my nerves stop asking me why so many times over and over when a child doesn't doesn't do exactly what you say because they think there's a better way you know one of the things that used to drive me crazy I've been a mom for a long time um I I had my first child when I was 16 so my oldest son is 27 and then I have a 14 year old and a 13 year old oldest love his heart was a lot of the trial run And I was still very much learning how to be my type of parent instead of the parent that I thought I should be. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep. So (laughs) when he would load the dishwasher, for example, it would drive me crazy if he didn't load it exactly the way I would have loaded it. (laughs) Why? Why does that? And we're trying to tell them, no, do it this way. It needs to be done exactly like this. And that's bullshit. When you take a step back and look and say, you know what? The dishes got washed either way. Yeah. I think a lot of us were raised with this is the way you do it. And again, it's kind of the the short-sightedness of our parents that that's what they believe too. I mean, they were taught that there's one way to this. There's one way that you uh, fold the laundry uh, and there's Mm -hmm. one way to reach salvation. And that drives me crazy when people get, that's grounds. I don't unfriend people very often, but when they start getting that adamant that there's only one way to salvation and it's this particular God through this particular means, and you have to do everything. X, Y, and Z, and you have to pat your head counterclockwise uh, on Wednesday mornings or else you're not getting into heaven. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. When you think about it, it's so utterly stupid. And yet so many people believe that this is the only way. How can there only be one way into heaven? I mean, what if you never got the instruction manual? What if you never, I always ask people like, what if you were washed up on a deserted island as a baby? You were raised with monkeys. You had no idea who Jesus was. You had no idea who Vishnu was. You had no idea who Allah was. And you just lived your life out. And then you die at the end of it. And I have people who will tell me to my face, well, it's you know, they should have learned about Jesus anyway. I'm like, how, how would they learn about Jesus? They're on an island and no one taught them about things. They believe their own way of things, their own philosophies during their life. They lived a good life. They died. And you're telling me they're not going to go to heaven because you say so? I mean, it's so ridiculous. Sometimes I wonder if it wouldn't be better if we didn't have so many holy books and we just downloaded the information ourselves. Absolutely. And straight that's what, from uh, the universe. Absolutely. And you know what's interesting is my two children from my first marriage, I I made the mistake of 
and again, I hope I don't offend people by saying this, it was a mistake for us anyway. Might not be for other people. We raised them in Catholic school the first few years before I moved them into public school. Because again, I was doing the same thing my parents did and just something I learned that that's what we did. We just kind of sent them to the parochial schools and we broke away from that. And then with our kids as they got older, and certainly with my stepsons, and then with our daughter that we had together 13 years ago, I don't think other than like a certain Christmas or two or maybe an Easter, they've ever been in church. And it's okay. It's okay for kids to grow up with their own idea of what spirituality is and what God is. And I think people who are offended by that, I'm offended by them because they think it's up to them from a young age. Again, I use the word brainwashing a little more loosely than a lot of people do. Some people think of like Cold War and espionage and brainwashing of, you know, of soldiers and things like that. I'm talking about brainwashing as anything that you are raised with over and over and over again that you really had no say in the matter of. And I think one's personal faith is so personal that like, why should my parents have decided that? Why why should my parents have decided I'm going to be Jewish? Why not let me explore the Jewish religion and see if I like it? Why not let me see about Catholicism versus Hinduism and let me come to my conclusion as to how I got here and what the afterlife is? I mean, think about how people are offended at hearing that, but I'm offended by them because they think it's up to them what their kid believes in for the rest of their lives. They have no choice. They're going to be Jewish. They're going to be Muslim. They're going to marry a Muslim. They're going to marry a Christian. I mean, look at, there's people that behead each other in the world because they're so uptight about religion and which way is the right way. And we're killing each other. I mean, the Crusades, we, we obliterated people for not agreeing with us on our religion. We were so threatened that we killed people for not believing as we believed. And I Absolutely. think that's that's the height of insanity. Organized religion, when it comes to things like that, is the most insane institution mankind has ever created, in my opinion. It just, it keeps war and hate and finger pointing going it's been going for thousands of years we've been killing each other over religion and at some point we have to say okay this is a little insane and when are we going to open up the freedom of thought to everyone like you said if you're born into a household that is a particular religion that's fine of course those parents are going to speak about that more or attend that church or that mosque but i really wish all households would have every religious book there is available to their children and teach them about it. Even if it's just to be able to communicate with other people outside of whatever religion it is you choose. Oh, absolutely. And I think that we do the same damage with politics. You know, when, when, when a kid is raised with, you know, oh, Reagan was, was horrible or Reagan was God or, you know, I mean, they, they, that's their view of it. I mean, he could have died years before they were even born and their, their view of Ronald Reagan or their view of FDR or their view of anybody is jaded by what they hear their parents talking about. And I think it's the same with sports teams. I think when... No, that's- totally true yeah well, I, I i just i don't get the whole fixation people have and it's obsession with like dr- dressing their little kids like the bib has to be the la dodgers or the bib has to be the san francisco giants i mean the kid doesn't even know what baseball is and you're already that's a form of indoctrination that's a form of no. domestication and then the kid starts going to giants games rooting the giants hating the dodgers and then one day they're 35 years old and they go you know what i kind of like the dodgers better than the giants but i feel guilty because every generation before me was a giants fan and it's so ridiculous we don't even know like why we're cheering certain political people on we don't know why we're cheering certain sports teams on we don't know why we we believe in islam we don't know why we believe in in christianity we don't even understand why we believe this stuff and and that's what your book is about and i i love the the subtitle of your book it's the title is who the hell told you that and then it says an eviction notice 
for indoctrinated thoughts. And I thought, this is brilliant. I, I knew I loved the book, Melissa, before I even opened it. <laughs> the title was so spot on. Oh, thank you. But it is true, isn't it? I'm so glad it resonated with you. Oh, my God. I read this and I go, gosh, I want to write the intro to our next book. Please pick me. I want to write the intro to your next book. <laughs> because we're on the same frequency with so much of this stuff. And it's it's the same way I, I view things. But tell us about this book and what inspired you to write it. Well, I think I've been inspired to write for a long time time. I, intuitively, I knew that I was going to write a book for many, many years, but when it first hit me as just an intuitive thought, I didn't really know what it was going to be about. And I end up spending majority of my life and looking back, I've spent majority of my life helping people change their perspectives in so many different categories. Um, you know, let's take the drug addiction just as one example, because that's something else that I really am passionate about is helping people overcome drug addiction. And it's a big problem in the United States. It's a big problem in Kentucky. And often if people have had a family member become addicted or pass away from an addiction, they point that blame once again to, let's say, the drug dealer. There's a few people that they point the blame to, but that's one of the main ones. And I've heard people say all drug dealers should be murdered should be shot. And I'm so often I'm like, but hold on, let's think about this now. Is it their fault that this person did the drug? No, we're never going to stop someone from doing drugs ever. If that's what they want to do, if that's where their mind and heart is. And if they've had so much trauma that that's the escape that they choose and how we help people overcome that and not want to be on that drug is to teach them again how powerful they really are and allow them to think for themselves. And I find that often people have become addicted, not so much some what they've been through, but the cage that they've put themselves in. They haven't allowed themselves throughout their lifetime to be themselves because they're scared of hurting their parents' feelings. We just went through Christmas. So I can't tell you how many people I meet on a daily basis that says, I just really hate holidays. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Any holidays, but particularly Christmas. I hate everything about it. Um, they don't want to be shopping. They don't want to be spending money. They don't want to be out fighting the crowds. They don't want to be told that they have to do X, Y, Z. Half the time, they don't want to be around the family that they're going to be around. I think uh, this quarantine was welcomed by a lot of people for the Christmas holiday anyway and Thanksgiving. But they won't say, you know what, I'm just not really going to do Christmas anymore. I'll hang out with the people I want to hang out with, but I'm not doing the whole Santa or the gift giving or whatever it is about it that they don't particularly like. Yeah, because we're so stuck on, that's a great point with traditions and stuff. Uh, I, I remember the first year we had pot roast for Thanksgiving and, and so many people snickered at us going, you know, it's you have to have turkey. And I'm like, why do we, that, that's another example. Like we, nobody today was around for the first Thanksgiving to know that the Native Americans and, and, and the pilgrims sat together and peacefully had a turkey. I mean, that, that was one of the prevalent uh, birds that was around. And, you know, maybe they had raw fish, maybe they had sushi for the first Thanksgiving. We don't know what they had, but this whole idea that we have to have turkey. Right, let's say, let's say it's true. The first Thanksgiving, they had turkey. Therefore, hundreds of years later, we have to still have turkey. 
I mean, it's so stupid when you think about it. What if I want to have, what if my family tradition, Melissa, is to have pepperoni pizza on Thanksgiving? Is that okay with people? I mean, I don't care what they think. But for a long time, I did care. And I would have turkey as dried up as it was. And nobody liked it. And the kids hated it. And they couldn't even (laughs) chew it. And and we're like, we're going to have turkey because it's Thanksgiving. So we're going to spend a lot of money on the fattest turkey we could find. And it's so dumb because... I, I bet you anything, most people don't even like turkey that are eating turkey for Thanksgiving. They wish they could have spaghetti. Have mama's Italian recipe for Thanksgiving if you want. Have uh, sushi if you want. Go have Chinese food if you want. I mean, wh- wh- where do we get these ideas? And, and then we raise our kids. Oh, Thanksgiving's turkey and mashed potatoes, kids, and green beans. And that's all they gr- raise their kids with, you know? And a thousand years later, we're eating turkey. We don't even like it. We don't even know why we're doing it. Exactly. And how silly is it now that you have stepped outside of that? How silly is it to think back like you really allowed someone to control what you ate on a particular day? (laughs) Yeah, or even that I celebrated on a particular day. Here's another one. Get ready for some more controversy here, Melissa. I'm not intentionally doing it, but here's another one. Everyone says, "Put, put Christ back into Christmas. By all accounts, by right. every Christ expert, Christ, yeah, Christ wasn't born on Christ wasn't born on December twenty no. fifth, and most experts and even religious no. experts and historians will tell you he was probably born in the spring or summer. He was not born in the winter. It, it was a way of deflecting from the winter solstice, and it's all. I mean, the Bible doesn't even mention. Yes. And this is what drives me crazy is people point to the Bible as the manual for life. And they say, if it's not in the Bible, it's not real. That's why space aliens, God didn't create other worlds because it would have been in the Bible. Well, why isn't the birth of Jesus in the Bible? Not any version of the Bible, not a single one points out that December 25th is the day that Christ was born. Not one. Isn't that kind of an important day? The day the Savior was born? I mean, why isn't that in the Bible anywhere? And yet we still celebrate exactly. it as, as it, it has to be. And we don't put the baby Jesus in the manger until Christmas because he's not born yet on Christmas Eve or, you know, November. And yet I don't understand any of this. It drives me crazy because even religious experts, even Christian theologians and historians will tell you this is not the real birth of Jesus. And yet everything hinges on the birth of Jesus. I mean, everything, all the Christmas carols that are religious, Christ the Savior is born. But he wasn't. He wasn't born on this day. And yet, thousands of years later, we're pretending that he was, because that's what we're supposed to do. Exactly. Yeah. It's the birth of the S-U-N, not the S-O-N. Yeah, I mean, it and was. It was rooted in paganism. Twist. Same thing with uh, Easter. Easter was a pagan holiday. And then all of a sudden, it's about the resurrection of Jesus, because they had to hide the fact that there were a bunch of, quote-unquote, heathens running around worshiping the earth. I mean it's it's what this yep. is about and it's reality and if people don't like it they need to look into their history but that's another thing i don't understand is something as monumental as the resurrection of jesus christ how come sometimes it's in march and sometimes it's in april i mean isn't that a date that you know what i mean it's like president's day it's it's never on the president's actual birthday anymore it's just kind of when it's a convenient date so don't you think like the resurrection of jesus christ would be on the same day every year even if it was on a wednesday a friday or a monday i mean why does it alternate like weeks <laughs> Weeks at a time. Easter's never like the same time in a year. It tries to be crazy. Yeah, because it's all just made up and man-made to keep everyone under their control and coming to church like good little boys and girls. And I'm not knocking anyone that chooses to go to church, but how many people go to church one day a year and that will be Easter? Yep. Or Christmas, they're all flooding the churches. And then the week before Christmas, there's nobody there. Exactly. Right. Because that's... Again, going back to that programming, the people that did not actually attend the church 
said, well, you know, we have to go this day. So they took their children and then it continues on. But I do like that. I believe it's becoming more talked about and more well known that Christmas is not Jesus's birthday and that bunnies and eggs have nothing to do with Jesus whatsoever. So what are the bunnies and eggs? Well, it's fertility, obviously. Yeah. And more people are looking at that and saying, okay, there's something else going on here. And we were told a few lies along the way and several things were morphed together. You know, I think they wanted to take out the paganism altogether, but they also knew that it was too important and they couldn't necessarily do that. So they kind of morphed it as one. The sad thing is how many people were murdered for being pagan even after they quote unquote stole the traditions. Yeah, it's just, history is just one big mess. I mean, we want it to be just kind of cookie cutter and this is how it happened, but you know, we're rediscovering paradigms and that's what your book's really about is the paradigms that we're raised with, how to break break them apart. I mean, here's another example and again, it's going to irritate people, but this is this is what it means to be a free thinker, Melissa. You're a free thinker, I'm a free thinker and I think everyone should be a free thinker. I used to be one of those kids that memorized all the Christopher Columbus songs. You know, we had all the pageants in school and we celebrated Christopher Columbus as he was the greatest thing since sliced bread. He got lost. He was nowhere near America. He didn't get anywhere near America. There are other explorers that if we really wanted to celebrate that day, we'd celebrate them, not Columbus. And I won't even get into the whole genocide aspect of it. The very fact is that we were raised that Christopher Columbus discovered America, and he did not. He categorically, absolutely, 100% did not discover America. And then we wonder why people are not celebrating Columbus Day anymore. The guy didn't have anything to do with the founding of America. Not one single solitary thing. And yet, I, I don't really resent it like in a serious way, but it's all the brainwashing when I was growing up. Every year we had those past Every year we sang the songs and the Nina and the Pinta and the Santa Maria and in Columbus, you know, God, like he was right there, you know, at Los Angeles Harbor or something. And he wasn't, he wasn't anywhere near America. He got lost. He didn't know where he was, in fact. And yet millions and millions and millions of us, I mean, God knows I'm, I'm irritating maybe some Italian folks who are listening because Christopher Columbus is like a God when you're raised Italian. It, it, he had nothing to do with it. So, so how do we, how do we, what do we do with these paradigms? Well, we have to question everything. And then, like I say, you know, first it's going to piss us off. It, it does piss us off. I don't think there's any way around it. When we figure out the truth and we start seeing the light, I'm like, oh my God, I've been lied to about so many things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really is true when it you think about it. overwhelming. <laughs> And once you start questioning and truly being a free thinker, then your whole life is different. And it's hard not to point those fingers like, well, you know, the school indoctrinated us. Religion has indoctrinated us. Our parents have indoctrinated us. It's just everywhere you turn. And again, we have to go back to, well, they were doing the best from their level of consciousness. You know, that's what our teachers were taught to teach us. So we can't blame them, but we do know that history has always been skewed for the victor. Yeah, no, and that's why it's important to, yeah, to go outside of these regular history books. And I mean, even my own nationality, which I talked about a little bit in the book, uh, I'm Melungeon, which is basically an Appalachian mix of 
all sorts of things. But my friend, Dr. Jose Bay at Berea College is an African history professor. So once I found out I was Melungeon, which is part Moorish, AKA black, he started teaching me um, what that means exactly. And a lot of people think, including black people, that everyone that came to America who is black was a slave. Mm -hmm. And that is so far from the truth when, in fact, the Moorish people were here with their own government living amongst other natives and completely free. And white and black had nothing to do with the tone of skin. It had to do with are you blacklisted or not, just like how you can be blacklisted from a club or anything else. Mm -hmm. So Moorish people are listed on their birth certificate and census and so forth as white. And I don't know if you filled out a census this year, but if you did, I actually took a photo of it. I took a photo of it because it said in the white box, it said Egypt, Northern Africa, and something else. Um, I don't remember the other offhand. But basically, if you were Arab, or North African, check the white box. Is no one else questioning why it says that? What? <laughs> yeah, it's, boy, don't even get me started on check the boxes because it's just, and again, that's the indoctrination. From a young age, kids growing up with these boxes to check, they, they see themselves, okay, I'm going to check myself as homosexual. I'm going to check myself as, as this. I'm going to check myself as black. I'm going to check myself as Republican. I'm gonna, I mean, everything is a box that we have to check I mean, right. when you think about it, uh, all these government forms, all these things make us identify. And in some states, we can't even vote in the primaries unless we're a registered Republican or Democrat. We don't even have a vote in the primary in, in many states, the way the, the is, rules are written. Yes. Yes. Which is mind blowing to me that we are still allowing that to happen. And then the ego becomes attached to it. Now, I've watched people with several politicians over my lifetime. They vote for this particular one because like you said that's the box that they fit in that's the box that their parents told them that they fit in and then they will even tell you well you know i don't really particularly like this one but i'm going to vote for them to keep a republican or a democrat in control or they didn't like what he said later although maybe they liked him at first Later on, something comes out, but they refuse to now kind of go against that person because now their ego is attached to it. Boy, the ego is a very strange animal. And um, oftentimes I think that's why animals appear to be happier. Like I look at my dogs just laying on the couch. They don't have an ego. And that's why they're so happy. I think that's why the birds are so happy. They don't have egos. I mean, it's a very human thing to have an ego. But the ego is that chattering monkey in your head that says, I need a better car. I need a bigger house. The neighbors have a bigger house. I need one too. I need to have uh, a whole bunch of girlfriends. I need to have a whole bunch of money. I have a, a whole bunch of this. I have to collect this. I have to accumulate things. And man, it's just uh, minimizing. The older I get, the more I try to minimize my ego. And I don't know if that's just the natural progression of life that we, we start off kind of, you know, most people are a little more brash and a little more egotistical maybe in their 20s than they are in their 60s. 
Do you think that's just a natural evolution? I mean, do we get less egoistic as we get older? Not necessarily. I think some people do, but I still have met quite a few who are up there a little bit in age to be having an ego, but it is definitely still there. Um, maybe it's what they've personally gone through. I'm not really sure on that. I have noticed. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So I have noticed, and I have no research other than my own observation to back this up, but I have personally noticed that at age 33, a lot of people seem to go through an ego rebirth, so to speak. Hmm. And if they don't, then it's, their problems almost seem to kind of magnify from the egotistical spectrum to get their attention if they don't give it some thought and mindfulness at that age. Very interesting. That leads me to a question. All this mindfulness stuff, all this meditation, all this minimalism, all this uh, stuff, that kind of household words now, and you go to the bookstore and the self-help section is full of mindfulness books and minimalism books, which I love. Mm -hmm. But I, I often think I wish I'd learned this in my 20s. I wish, why didn't I know this stuff in college? And a lot of these things weren't household words. We didn't we, we didn't talk about tiny houses and, and having a smaller footprint back when I was growing up. Is this just something that you naturally get to at a certain age? Like, are we supposed to know this stuff in our 20s? Are we supposed to make all these mistakes and kind of learn in our 20s? And maybe we're not supposed to have this knowledge till later? What do you think about that? I mean, is this something that kids, we should kind of teach them a little bit earlier on or is this something they just naturally will learn when they become adults or i mean i am all about introducing all of this to children as soon as possible of course and i think some of us did get it earlier and again some of us got it intuitively i feel that i have always been living this lifestyle and been the same as far as the intuition and all of that goes but then i learned of course along the way. Um, I don't, that's kind of a difficult question to answer because I feel like we're all always where we're exactly where we're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. But the more knowledge and wisdom and books and teachers that we have, of course, that's fabulous for us to evolve a little faster as well. But if we're not there and we're not wanting to hear it, then we're still not going to hear it. It doesn't matter how many books we have or how many teachers are there to guide us because we don't care. Right. What is that whole uh, saying, like when the when the student is ready, the teacher appears or something? Right. Yeah. And I, I kind of feel like my husband has also been an extremely spiritual person his whole life. I mean, just stories that his parents have told me of him as a child going out to the woods by himself and basically meditating. I, he didn't call it meditating. He didn't really know what he was doing, but that's what he was doing. But even the monk who meditates the most still has lessons to learn. So even if we were taught this as a child, we still have our own path and our own reasons that we came to this planet for our own personal evolution and what we are going to contribute. No, absolutely. And I think one of the the gist of your book to uh, who the hell told you that an eviction notice for indoctrinated thoughts, which people can get. Uh, I, I, I've been seeing on your social media, it's been flying off the the shelves. Uh, is it available again? Looks like I can order it again on Amazon. I got the Kindle version. 
but it's been in and out of print, right? It's been so popular, this first book of yours? Yes, the first two print runs sold out within, out of 20 days or something like that. It was crazy. Wow. But it is available now on Amazon again. And I actually don't even have a copy, not one copy myself. Because <laughs> the copies that I had, everyone was hitting me. <laughs> I don't have my own book. But I ended up signing and sending out all of the copies that I had because once it sold out on Amazon, everyone was sending me a message. And I had no plans on mailing out books myself. I didn't think that was going to be a thing. I'm not complaining. It was fabulous. And I loved being able to sign those to individuals and get them out there in the mail. But I thought my copies were just going to be, you know, for book signings when people didn't have one on hand yet. So I'm, I'm still waiting on my own. <laughs> yeah, well, this is a great book. And it really, the, the main gist to in all of this is just ask yourself as you're going through your day, are my actions in alignment with the kind of life I want to create, right? I mean, are these ideas that I'm thinking my own ideas? Are they my parents' ideas? Is it my mother's ideal of the world? Is it my religion's ideal of the world? Do I really want to eat this? Do I? You, you gave a great example of um, even the cuisine. Like our pantry probably right now is filled with a similar pantry that we grew up with. And maybe our parents were big on pastas and, you know, we're trying to lose weight and be healthy. And we're like, you know what? This isn't really kind of gelling with the kind of life I want to have. I mean, Pasta is great, but if I want to lose weight, maybe I need to go Mediterranean or maybe I need to go keto. Maybe I need to cut back on this stuff. But we have to ask ourselves that constantly, right, through the course of our day and our life is what I'm about to do, is it in alignment with the kind of person I want to end up being? And if it isn't, what, what would you suggest? Don't do it or rethink it? Rethink it, question it, continue to question until you feel like this resonates with me. And don't be afraid to step out there into these realms that you've never explored before. And that goes with everything in life, but something as simple as the pantry. How many times have you talked to someone and they want to try a particular dish, but they say, well, I don't really know how to cook it. And what if I don't like it? I'm scared to spend this $5, whatever it is, <laughs> because I'm scared to death I won't like it. But that is how much we put shackles on ourselves from exploring this amazing planet that we have out here. We put so many limitations on ourselves, don't we, Melissa? Almost every limitation is self-created. Uh, when you think about it, it's it's all in our head. We, we think we can't be writers. We think we can't be runners. We think we can't be scientists. We think we can't be happy in a relationship. I and mean, we have all these preconceived notions holding us back. And we can change all that just with a different course of, of thought. We could change our entire lives questioning and actions get it, get out there and enjoy it you know going back to religion how many christians do you think would attend a mosque i don't know not very many there I might be think. a few <laughs> but how many muslims would go to a wiccan event i mean people are so afraid that that is somehow going to be so bad that they won't even go and observe it it's a, and it's a great point. If I feel like if our thoughts, if our thoughts can be threatened and our faith can be threatened that easily, then maybe we need to question our faith. Unfortunately, we have to wrap up here. And that's a, that's a great thought to leave people with. And I've always thought that myself, at least in the last 20 years of my thinking about all this stuff is if we're that threatened by something, we have to reevaluate what our belief system is. Maybe it's, it's 
built on landfill. Maybe it's not the bedrock we thought it was. Maybe it is kind of squishy, mushy material that we've built our belief system on. And I always think to myself, Melissa, that if if we were to get the answers tomorrow, the open-minded people are the ones that are going to thrive and survive in the new world. Like, let's say for the sake of argument, we proved tomorrow that religion was a sham. I'm not saying it is. Let's say we could categorically prove tomorrow that space aliens are real and they've been real all along. We have to, the more open-minded people are the ones that are going to say, okay, I was kind of open to that anyway. So I kind of figured there were space aliens out there. I mean, the people that were like, no, it can't possibly be that there are space aliens. It can't possibly be that I'd get along with this culture. I can't possibly be that my religion's wrong. If faced with those facts, and I hate to say this to people, but the more scientifically based we get, the more the internet grows, the more educated people become, the less these things are going to have power over people. And people are just going to have to get ready for that because it's already happening. We're not living centuries ago where people, you know, thought every time a volcano rumbled, it was because the gods were pissed off at somebody. I mean, we're not living in those days anymore. We have scientific evidence of why a volcano erupts and it has nothing to do with the gods being angry. So the more scientifically based we get and the more educated we become, the the less hold these paradigms are going to hold on people, you think? Absolutely. The only thing that we can for sure count on in this world is change. And the more that, like you said, we can adapt to that, the happier we're going to be. And at the end of the day, isn't that what creator universe wants for us and we want for ourselves? No, absolutely. One of my uh, best friends and one of the great radio broadcasters uh, that ever lived, in my opinion, once said he was an agnostic. He wasn't an atheist. He goes, I'm not an atheist because I don't know enough to be an atheist and I don't know enough to be a believer. He goes, I'm an agnostic because I don't know. And that's what agnostics are. They claim, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's a God. Maybe when I die, I'll I'll regret having acted the way I did and I'll end up in hell for eternal damnation. I don't know. I'm an agnostic. I, I can't say one way or the other. And I think as crazy as maybe we thought those people were growing up, you know, you always had like the agnostic in the class that seemed like the most stubborn kid in the class. Like, you know, I don't know if this is real or not. <laughs> maybe they're the ones that had it going on the most. Maybe they're the ones who figured it out early. That, you know, I don't know. I don't know if there's a God. I believe there right. is, but maybe there isn't. And if there isn't, I have to be ready for that. Right. To say I don't know also goes back to the ego. We have to release the ego of being so sure of ourselves and acting like we know everything and acting like our parents and our grandparents were right all the time. Yeah. I mean, we can't even color match our clothing half the time when we go outside. I mean, you go to the Walmart. I mean, people have never learned how to dress. I mean, and we think we know the answers to the, the universe when we don't even know how to dress ourselves in the morning. I mean, come on. Who the hell told us this? Oh, sorry. Never mind. <laughs> Well, uh, Melissa, you you are fantastic. This is I, I can't believe this is your first book. I had to research that because I thought this was probably you know your third or fourth or fifth book. But to come out with a first book like this, you came out swinging, and it's a very intelligent read. It's a gutsy read for the same reason you know we talked about things that would be considered gutsy. They shouldn't be, but they are because it rattles cages and it's not that you intended to do that, but it does. This is a book for those who are open to be challenged. There's no doubt about it. It's not, if someone doesn't think they can change their mind about something, I don't know that this book is the one for them. This has to be for somebody who is living their life and going, you know what? I'm not satisfied really. And I don't know where that satisfaction or dissatisfaction comes from, but I want to find out and see how I can make my life better. That's, that's who the book's for. Yes. Thank you. Um, someone in a previous interview called me a disruptor and I was like, Oh, I like that disruptor. That's, yeah, <laughs> I'll take that one. <laughs> 
No, I mean, sometimes we need to shake things up and just get people thinking outside the box. And that's, it's, it's the evolution of thought. Um, uh, you know, we used to think that the universe, everything revolved around the earth and it made sense to people for a certain time. And we used to think that uh, taking a power drill and cutting a hole in someone's brain would release their mental illness. You know I mean? It wasn't that long ago that doctors were drilling right. holes in people thinking that was going to cure mental illness. When you think about it, many of our parents were alive during this time, right? Right, right. And in your lifetime, Native Americans were not allowed to uh, practice their spirituality legally. I mean, it really is incredible. Gay marriage, when, when I was a kid, that never would have even been talked about. I mean, even back in the 70s mm -hmm. and 80s, nobody would talk about that. And now it's accepted in you know growing number of states as it should be that there's another one for you. We, we have to marry someone because that's what we've always done. Men have always married women and women have always married men. So that's the way it needs to be. Never mind that it's wrong for you. Never mind that you knew from the time you were six that you didn't like guys or you didn't like women. Never mind. If you're going to get married, it has to. I mean, that's another absurdity, huh? You need to spend the next 70 years of your life with someone of the opposite sex because we tell you to. Right. It is absurd. And it's sad that a community, a government, family, parents, whoever, wants to force their own beliefs onto someone else so much that they are willing to throw out the window that person's happiness. It really is true. And I think that's our main premise. I think our one of our, it sounds selfish when you say that until you really understand it. I think one of our main reasons for being here is to be happy. And I think everything we do, everything we do from the stuff we buy ourselves for Christmas to the drugs that we take, to the alcohol we consume, to the movies we watch, to the books, we, we all do these things thinking it's going to make us happier. It's all the ultimate goal for every human being on this planet, I think, is to be happy. We just kind of sometimes have twisted routes to get there or, you know, we don't understand really that it's not the way to happiness. It's going to lead to misery. But I don't think anybody wakes up in the day saying, I'm going to do everything I can to be miserable today. I'm going to do everything I can to have the worst possible outcome for everything I do today. I mean, nobody wakes up thinking that or wishing that. Right. Exactly. Yet if they aren't careful, that's what they end up doing unconsciously. That's why it's so important to be conscious of the thoughts that we have and is it serving our greater purpose? Well, this book is fantastic. I want people to order it. Now, the copies back in print okay or do you recommend Kindle or can they still get the physical copy now? They, the physical copy is back on the third print run and available right now. And then, of course, there's always the Kindle as well. Okay, and they can go to Amazon and look up Dr. Melissa Carver, and the book is Who the Hell Told You That? An Eviction Notice for Indoctrinated Thoughts, and her website is Dr. Dr. Melissa, two S's, Carver, C-A-R-V-E-R.com. You can find out about her private sessions as well. She does corporate events and maybe kind of over uh, the internet these days because we can't really uh, mingle as much as we used to. Uh, hopefully that'll change in 2021. But um, you do a lot of uh, virtual stuff with people too. And you have retreats. You have one coming up in 2021, right? At, at the end of summer? We do in August at Shaker Village. Have you ever been there? No, I haven't. I've never been to Kentucky. It looks like a beautiful place, but I've never been. It's gorgeous. And the Shakers were their own religion. And I believe there's one left now that lives in New Jersey. And that's it. Wow. Yeah, so that'll be happening. That's uh, July 30th through, through August 1st of 2021. And you can find out all sorts of stuff. She has a blog as well and ways to get in touch with her. We talked about that off the air about your social media. You're all over social media, so people can look you up, right, Dr. Melissa Carver? Yes, absolutely. And I try to answer all DMs, and 
just be patient with me if it takes a little while sometimes. Well, Melissa, it was a pleasure. I feel like we've connected here and I, I knew I had to have you on as a guest. I, I used to do hardcore political talk radio and I burned out after 25 years and I couldn't do the yelling anymore and the screaming and I'm right, you're wrong. It just weighed on me. I became a jerk to my wife and to my kids and everybody I was around. I just was miserable. And I said, you know what? I there's, there's too many pontificators out there of politics. I'll leave it to them. Let them keep the screaming going if they really feel a need to. But I just started doing this a couple of years ago, the positivity format, and I'm so glad I did because I, I have a, a, a lightness in my step now and a lightness in my heart, and I'm seeking out people like you for the podcast, and you were perfect for it. I knew it from uh, the time I, I learned about you, and when I read the book, I knew we had to have you on. So thanks for being here with us. Thank you for having me. And hopefully uh, with your next book, uh, I want to get at least a shot at maybe maybe be in the top 20 people to write the intro for you. I really do believe that because I, I believe in you and your work. And I, th I think we see eye to eye on a lot of this stuff. But I look forward to the next book. Is that something in the works? Or are you kind of taking it easy for now and doing your other stuff? Or are you thinking about book number two? The book is actually in the second book is in the works. Yep. <laughs> oh, wonderful. <laughs> Well, I can't wait. And we'll have, well, if, if, if you liked today, we'll have you on again for that one, okay? All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much.